This is a message from the Art Intelligence Agency. Welcome to AI Agents, a program that explores the intersections of innovation and artificial intelligence. This podcast is brought to you by a collaboration between the Australian Institute for Machine Learning and the C.F. Fowler Institute at the University of Adelaide. Join our host, Tim Whiffen, in conversation with creatives, academics, and professionals in exploring how human and artificial intelligence can collaborate in divergent ideas for our future. Culture is a collection of intellectual and creative achievement tied to customs, behaviour and public discourse. While art is a significant part of culture, it represents our highest order intelligences, and is seemingly far from the capability of something like artificial intelligence. But we have seen AI participate in artistic practice, and certainly, as culture is increasingly digital, technology is the foundation for culture in the future. While we are not automating digital culture, it is clear that our experience of the internet and digital technologies is dictated by software and can be shaped by machine learning processes. It is worth asking if the real creatives are the artists or the software engineers in the 21st century. While artists have design output, we can appreciate that it may be distributed through and created on systems all written in code. To discuss these ideas of digital culture and the automation of digital culture, Agent Lev Manovich joins the Art Intelligence Agency. Lev is a presidential professor at the City University of New York, leading theorist on digital culture and director at the Cultural Analytics Lab. Lev has produced several books, including titles like Instagram and Contemporary Image, AI Aesthetics, and Theories of Software Culture, and is currently working to expand his writing on AI. Lev joins us from Seoul in South Korea. I am joined today at the Art Intelligence Agency by Agent Lev Manovich. Thank you for speaking with me today. Thank you for inviting me. Lev, could you start by telling us about your research interests? So I have been working with uh, computers since 1984. Uh, first, uh, starting in uh, 3D computer animation graphics, I worked for a number of years in commercial companies, and then eventually I got a PhD in visual culture, where my dissertation was about the kind of development of modern computing, the rise of human-computer interaction, and how it's connected to our kind of cultural development of the 20th century. I was teaching digital art and media theory for about 20 years at the University of California, San Diego, and since 2013, I became a professor in a PhD program in computer science at the Graduate Center of City University of New York. Uh, so my research interests for over 30 years have been to understand this new revolutionary development, which we call digital computers, you know, internet, uh, and all the different new ways uh, computers bring to work with information, to communicate, to connect us, to think, and so on. Uh, my particular focus was on the kind of visual computing, visual culture, because my original background was in art. My latest book is called Cultural Analytics. It came out last fall. It's a result of almost 15 years of work in trying to see how we can use methods such as data visualization, machine learning, and artificial intelligence to make sense of contemporary global culture, where you know, billions of people share billions of new cultural artifacts every day. Right? So how can we see this mass of culture, this, this cultural galaxy universe, uh, because the conventional tools and also computer tools like search engine and accommodation systems while useful, we don't really allow us to see you know, the full breadth 
in a full variety of what people create today. Mm. Culture is a word that we you know, traditionally attribute to you know, tangible, like outside practical practices. How can culture be embedded or perceived in this digital world? So, you know, if you think about kind of history of humans, right, and history of culture, I mean, humans started to create culture many thousands of years before we had language, before we had societies, before we had governments, before we had philosophy, right? Uh, you know, as archaeologists discovering more and more things, you know, the date of the earliest human cave paintings, right, had been pushed further and further. I think now it's like 70,000 years ago, so even perhaps before language. So culture is perhaps what makes us humans as opposed to work, which was the idea of Karl Marx, right? Who conceptualized work because he was writing at the time of the industrial revolution. Mm. Now, so people always made culture, right? So in a way, before Instagram, before social media, right? People sing songs and dance and decorate their houses and decorate themselves and create clothing. Uh, but then I think in the 19th century, and 20th century is becoming industrialization and industrial mass society arrives, uh, people who create culture become separate, right, from everybody else. So now culture is created by professional writers, uh, let's say music composers, uh, designers, architects, and so on. I mean, this process maybe started in the Renaissance, but it can reach right, its full development in the 19th century, and then everybody else becomes consumers. So then in the 20th century, we get ideas like mass culture, right, popular culture, commercial culture, to reflect the separation. So now in the 21st century, some of this is breaking down because let's say there's around 4 billion people, right, who have access to the internet, there's something like 6 billion smartphones. Most smartphones have cameras. Today, for example, taking, sharing, discussing, talking about with friends, about your pictures on a smartphone has become probably the dominant form of culture, right? It's like what people do. We connect for photography. So if we, if we mean by culture, cultural artifacts, right? Which represent reality or express some ideas or have a static value, you know, definitely we have billions of cultural producers today. And that's a very dramatic development. Mm. I mean, it follows that uh, in the billions of cultural artifacts that, that are out there, we're kind of all atomized on the internet and we all experience an, an, ind an individual kind of set of cultural artifacts. Are we uh, participating in the same culture if each of us discover and consume a vastly different kind of yeah. set of content yeah. on the internet? Yeah. So I think we exist in kind of existing approaches, right? To understanding culture, but also knowledge, mm. uh, which we, you know, you know, even when we use computers, we absolutely don't allow us to uh, ask this question uh, because my obsession is this idea. But even though, right, we have big data and we have all kinds of tools, machine learning, you know, other types of AI systems, you know, all kinds of database systems stream processing, you know, uh, multimedia computing, the way we use these tools is often been really advanced since the 18th century. Right? We organize information hierarchical categories. We use methods such as, uh, you know, embedding, right? What used to, we used to be called dimensional reduction, maybe methods like PCA, TSNI. We use cluster analysis and we use descriptive statistics. So practically all data science and law statistics is built on reduction, right? So you start with 1,000 data points and you calculate the average. You start with, you know, billions of Instagram images and when you see here's 10 most popular subjects, 
But that's, of course, nonsense, right? Uh, I mean, it, it logically doesn't make sense anymore to reduce a billion to 10 or a million to one because computers can do much better, right? So the limitations is not in computers, the limitations in us. And uh, another thing is, if you, for example, let's say we, let's say we, you know, take millions of people, and somehow, you know, without, you know, without having, without, for example, you know, creating privacy problems, let's say, like it's a hyperphysical experiment, right? We're able to follow everything we see, read, and so on. You know, but we simply say, okay, these people listening to this music, these people looking at these photographs, these people reading these books. These kind of categories don't mean anything because maybe you're looking at uh, you know hundred films from hundred different countries, but actually all these films have the same plot, right? <laughs> or maybe you're looking at all the films from one country, but we all have different genres. So things like genres, uh, kind of mediums, categories, they're useful, but we only scratch the surface. So this is where I think AI uh, comes in, right? Uh, so now we have methods to. Uh, I mean, cluster big data into as many clusters as we want, right? So if we have, if we take 1 billion photographs on Instagram, why not cluster them into 100,000 clusters? You can see which of is, which those is clusters you know, everybody looks at. And then we can actually start answering a question, do people have the same culture? Does everybody look at different things or not, right? So the idea is we kind of still respect this, what I call metadata, you know, genres, you know, we divide art into theater, you know, music and so on or even like subject matter, right? So computer vision allows you to extract subject matter, but what matters is, you know, maybe what colors are paired with the subjects, what is the composition, right? So again, we have tools to do it, but uh, we don't really use them, I think, uh, in a way to create a more accurate maps of a true variety uh, and the ability of human culture. And why is it important? Because I think contemporary culture is actually based on lots of small differences. Right? I mean, you go to a store, and today, you know, worldwide, not only in Asia, minimalism is perhaps the leading trend, right? So I go to a store in Seoul, you know, and there's a hundred different t-shirts and shirts, all like in gray, but everyone is different, right? There's a small, tiny button, there's a different type of lean, right, and so on. So I want to be able to distinguish all these nuances because this is how producers operate, and this is how consumers who became experts also think about, right? Think about, think about thousands of thousands of sneaker models, which may be all white, but to a consumer, we're all different. So I don't see any so far computer science papers which would, in a way, focus on these nuances. People are satisfied by just saying, okay, you know, we can take we can take millions of photographs of people on the street and we can cluster them into like, here's a guy wearing you know, jeans and white t-shirt, but what kind of white t-shirt, you know? What is this particular tone of, of white? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a, a kind of a good case for AI having a creative ability. You know, if we can expose it to these infinite possibilities of you know different data sets and all those kinds of things. Yeah, but these spaces um, now for culture, they're all they're all coded. It's you know images are compressed and they're displayed through digital constraints. Um, so like kind of underlying everything is 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 software. Um, how responsible do you think a software engineer is for the creative potential of like a digital cultural space? Yeah, that's a, that's a wonderful question. Um, so in a kind of traditional cultural theory, right, to aesthetic theory, people always understood that the kind of particular medium which we're using, you know, is going to limit what you can express, right? So every medium has affordances. So we can go back to 18th century into German philosopher Lessing, 
was one of the founders of aesthetics and he said, okay, we're kind of spatial arts, like sculpture and painting, which are really kind of good expressive moment. And then literary art, you know, like drama, novels, opera, which are very good in telling stories, but it's hard to tell story with pictures, right? I mean, it's possible, think about Bruegel, but it's not typical, right? So that's a very one, very you know, good examples, right, of constraints. So think about film. So the reason 20th century cinema has editing, right? The reason you don't have films, which is like three hours single shot, is because you can only shoot about 10 or 20 minutes. You know, here, here, now, you, now you don't have to, right? So the constraints of kind of film technology is what created the aesthetics of film. So we can say the same thing applies, for example, to Facebook and to Instagram and to TikTok, you know, and to other things. On the other hand, like now I, I bought iPad a few weeks ago, right? And it's kind of, to me, it's as revolution as the original Macintosh. It's like amazing tools. I feel this amazing poetry, lightness when I use iPad. And I actually started painting after 30 years again using uh, Procreate. And the amount of the tools and the kind of nuances these tools have, in a way, it's almost like the opposite, right? In fact, so every brush has like 100 parameters. <laughs> <laughs> and I can change these parameters like on a scale of one to hundred. This is completely overwhelming, right? Uh, so I wonder how many Procreate users get to a point where we can control these parameters. Mm -hmm. So this example, I think, where engineer, you know, design is the tools, right? And you kind of build a model that if you're using oil paint or if you're using some, you know, I don't know uh, Japanese ink brush. Okay, so you want to create some some model which will control, right, how this tool will operate. Mm. You know, you define all these parameters, you give them some values. You say, well, you know, it doesn't cost me anything. I can just expose all these parameters to the user. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe what we use what the user actually needs is like maybe only five or six more high-level parameters, right? Mm. So I think it's a very so I think in digital culture we find both examples, right, of mediums which are specifically designed to be very really limiting. Mm. Or we encourage you to do very like you know like TikTok, right? I mean, or Instagram video, like 15 seconds. You know, and that's actually a very interesting example of constraints, which in a way uh, are designed not to limit your creativity, but I think to kind of expand your creativity. What you can do with 15 seconds, mm. right? So we shouldn't think of it as, as necessarily restrictive. And then we have these interesting examples like Procreate or you know all kinds of other tools which give you so much control but you don't know what to do with. At least I don't know yet, and I've been painter all my life, right? Maybe I'll figure <laughs> it out. Uh, so I think the software engineers to right to sum up, we have you know we have amazing in a way these people are the gods. <laughs> you, know, you can say that the world is run not only by politicians, not only by you know, by, by by finance not only by internet protocols, not only by political borders, the world is really run by software engineers who determine, who create the tools which determine how we meet each other, how we communicate, uh, you know, how, what we can create. And I'm not talking specifically about algorithms, like Facebook has algorithm, right? Mm. Which uh, decides what, which of your friends updates you'll see. Yeah, that's obviously important and it's very well understood now. But the interface and the tools is equally important. So my previous book, Software Takes Command was actually about this, right? Was the, was the history of development of computers, uh, multimedia, interactive machine. And uh, I had like 40 pages analyzing uh, some details of Photoshop interface. And I had 70 pages analyzing uh, the history and the uh, cultural effects of, of uh, After Effects interface. And I don't think many people kind of have produced something on this level of detail, but I think we need this, right? So mm -hmm. just as, you know, we admire you know, and uh, put in the museum, you know, the uh, 
Gondor, right? Or, you know, or, or a painted by Raphael. I mean, I think our museums should exhibit like, you know, every Windows version and like, people should write like <laughs> volumes about analyzing it. No, but seriously, why not? I mean, it makes, yeah. it will happen, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah. We've on the podcast talked before about um, AI influences on, on Instagram. And it kind of raises questions about the predictability of our creativity on these platforms in the sense that an AI can look at what's out there and almost perfectly recreate it. Can Instagram be a creative space or are we kind of drawn to visual patterns? So I think a big part of my work in the last 15 years, this idea of check cultural analytics was to also simply make visible how these platforms uh, host the full, right, the full scope of humanity. So Instagram is not influencers, it's not just pictures of brothers, it's not just selfies, it's everything, right? Mm. There are t- hundreds of thousands of communities united by particular subjects, particular aesthetics. You know, it's, uh, I mean, we never had anything like this in visual culture, right? So maybe I should simply publish not a theoretical article, but just a collection of, you know, here's somebody, you know, there's, for example, like thousands of groups focused on uh, kind of brutalist architecture in the former communist countries. You know, and you'll only find this on Instagram, right? Uh, so everything people think about Instagram is wrong. So I think in terms of influences, right? So there are people who in a way use this media for particular ends and have particular vision and they're absolutely not influenced. Uh, we're practically not influenced at all by Instagram kind of trends, by algorithms and so on. Well, and when you have our people, and what is proportion with our people like naive users, we also don't know. Maybe we're less naive users, you know, uh, it's hard to say, you know, and, but we assume that these people are in a way swayed, right? Uh, by um, what algorithms do. And there is this popular idea, which, and you know, usually all the popular ideas are wrong, right? That's kind of my assumption, right? So everybody thinks, A, I think probably it's wrong, let's think about B. So the popular idea about, you know, Instagram and social media, right, is that, you know, there are particular images with particular aesthetics, right? Particular filters, you know, with perfect faces, uh, you know, uh, edited in Facetune or other software. And this is what everybody likes. And then these are images which recommendation engines, the explore page is going to show to everybody. And so it's like this feedback loop, right? Which is going to, in a way, decrease variety. And you can push everybody towards a particular uh, ideas and mm-hmm. ideals, it's very easy to assume it. And actually there is no empirical evidence for this, right? Mm-hmm. And it's kind of hard, it's hard to it's hard to test this because only Instagram has all this data. And I mean, I'm not sure we're saving all this data, right? Like what does, you know, what does, uh, what does, you know, every user gets recommended like every minute, right? I mean, we mm-hmm. probably don't save this data. But there has been a few studies uh, uh, by academic researchers, which for example, look at YouTube, and the studies seem to show that people with user recommendation engines leads to more diversity, but people uh, for recommendation engines don't just show people the same thing we like, but we definitely expand uh, the kind of universe of subjects so people click. And then, of course, there are studies from industry themselves, but I think I only know one from Spotify, who says we look at our data for 18 months and we found out that on the average, month after month, you know, the average Spotify user is listening to more different kinds of music. Like every month, but that's of course, we can't verify it because Spotify data, right? But what I want to say is that 
it doesn't even matter what's true or not, right? Because probably, you know, some people are pushed towards single things, some people are pushed towards diversity. The point is, but you know, we have to entertain both ideas, right? And probably, and I think probably both ideas, probably both ideas are correct, and we find mm. you know, this and maybe many other types of effects which we not even, which we don't even think about today. Mm. Beautifully put, might I add. <laughs> yeah, and if I can just add one thing. So, you know, uh, I'm uh, believing in Korea now for years. So this kind of photo, this kind of not Photoshop, right? But face to faces using Instagram, right? People can have perfect makeup, no blemishes. It may look artificial to us, right? It may look to us like the effect of Instagram or social media. But this is kind of how people look and this is how people put makeup on, right? In Asia for hundreds of years. So what comes first, right? Uh, so, so we can see with Instagram, right? Things like Instagram, like we create a new reality, or we can say we simply reflect the reality which already existed. And again, there is no way to answer it, but mm-hmm. I think it's good to have entertained both ideas because I think it gives us a bit more nuanced view. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a great point. I'm going to think about that for the rest of my day. I think. <laughs> um, <laughs> in, okay, well, you put some makeup on, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I might have. Well, to. you know, in, in in Korea, for example, right, men buy as much as makeup as a woman. It's just yeah. normal. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I I bought some, so I tried to use it, but then it just felt so kind of. I'm not so used to it, so I stopped doing it. Although I was tempted, I was tempted to put some concealer. You know, and uh, some some even lipstick for this interview. Mm. <laughs> so this is okay. So your listeners can one day see me in my full makeup. Maybe <laughs> we'll have to get you back on for the uh, reveal. Um, Absolutely. Well, you can you can you can edit you can edit the audio, right? Like you know, you know yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Premiere, right? I mean, you can. I mean, in fact, you're going to take like every time I see. Mm-mm-mm. So this is like Photoshop, right? You're going to kind of Photoshop my audio. You know, and, and I'm very grateful, right? And please do it. I don't want, because like I make, I use obviously like, right? With kind of non-functional words and I hate myself. So, you know, so we do it. I mean, again, we've been doing it, right? We've been doing it like in audio design. We've been doing it in cinema for hundred years. This is not the new thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, very much so. I, I am a, a Photoshop artist of audio. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I want to finish up with a, a, just one one question. Sure. On the podcast, we've mostly established that AI in artistic fields is being used successfully as an augmentation process rather than a kind of creative entity by itself. Another brush in a toolkit, another parameter you might even say to mess with in a program. What kind of future do you see with artists working with AI or even competing with AI? I think this is very important question. Uh, so I try to talk about this just a little bit. In a very short book I published at the very end of 2018, it was called AI Aesthetics. Now I'm like writing like a, a thicker book with a colleague who's an expert in uh, psychology of art and philosophical aesthetics. So basically we're talking about uh, these kind of futures and uh, how AI looks at culture and basically asking what I think for me is key question, right? We all understand that most culture you know, follows templates, rules, scripts, right? Whether it is like you know, the kind of narratives you see you know, in TV dramas or in films, you know, or the kind of images you, know, you see for like millions of digital artists, right? Um, you know, what is this idea? You know, what is this impression? It's not a variety, but you know, since the days, let's say, of Russian formalists, the structuralists, right? 
people started to understand there are certain deep structures. But does this also apply to the geniuses? Does it also apply to people who are the exceptions? Does it apply to Picasso's world? Right. So, so here's my feeling, right? So at this point, we can already, I mean, we can do it now, just people haven't done it for some reason, because I think computer science is really smart. We don't really understand that art works like this. We think art is a very romantic way, or like with art as a genius, we don't understand that art is like combines patterns, you know, like, 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 like everybody else, right? Because we have this very, you know, naive, romantic idea of art, which is 200 years old. But one day we'll, like, we'll figure it out. So you can basically make already AI, right? Which can compose music, design fashion, uh, write, I mean, right, already it's writing news. Uh, so in, you know, in a few years you can do it and probably it can do 50 or 80 or 90% of cultural production pretty well, but can it do really amazing, unexpected things, right? So that's not clear, I'm not sure. I mean, one, I think, history is a bit of automation. So already like in the late 40s, people like in a way automate, they automate first simply computing, right? Calculating and the file, you know, indexing information files, right? Uh, tax records, census calculations, and then they automate uh, in the, right, uh, industrial control, production. And now we're like automating sales and marketing, right? Like Amazon. I was reading yesterday article 2016. Amazon very quickly switched to completely automatic process of like selecting which products to you know to feature prices, and everybody, everybody, all the sellers were just totally confused. You know, so uh, in this article, you know, the person who was part of this process when left Amazon says, the question is not when something will be automated. Everything will be automated. Uh, because why? Because our society is driven by, not by love of God, right? Or desire to make to make new equal society like communism. I mean, that's what people say, but the reality of society is days driven by profit and functionality and efficiency, right? So everything will be, so he said, what's, the question you want to ask is not if, if something will be automated, it will be. What will be automated last? Mm. So, and I think people have this wrong idea with art. It's the highest expression of human individuality, creativity, mm -hmm. uniqueness. That's why there's this obsession with art. And for me, like, it's will be studying art and doing art all my life. I mean, art is not very creative, right? I mean, science is much more creative as they were engineering or software design. You know, art is really about learning, copying, combining patterns, and very, very few people do something different, right? Of course, lots of people combine patterns in a very pleasant way, but it's a very kind of you know, mechanical activity. You know, lots of artists, we do paintings, we just watch TV at the same time. You know? mm. <laughs> we just can follow the algorithm. You know, with Jackson Pollock, right? Creates his famous canvases, and he walks around his studio and splashes paints, he's like following algorithms. <laughs> so if you take part of his painting, you can predict the rest of the painting. It's very repetitive, right? Wow, yeah. So, so what I think is that art is not the most creative thing, right? I mean, uh, I think basically I think in every field, there's like you know ten people who are like just be super creative, and then maybe one percent is creative, and the rest are just really doing me kind of. Thing. And art is no different. There as many people, as many creative like people who make sandwiches in a daily as artists, right? Uh, so, so that's one thing, right? It's wrong to think of art as something special. Mm. Uh, the reason people think art is unique because we don't we don't know how to look at it, right? Mm. Now, having said that. Uh, I also think that it's a very one-sided point of view. So I'm going to critique myself, you know, and what the reason we're drawn to art and visual culture, architecture, design, fashion, and so on, we actually don't know how it works, right? We don't know why this combination of colors 
clicks. We don't know why this particular shape speaks to us, right? Mm. There is a mystery. And that's why we're drawn to it, right? So there is something mysterious. So, so the question is not whether art in the sense of, you know, I'm not talking about fine art, right? It's a particular thing, you know, it's a market, etc. I'm talking about, you know, uh, what used to be art, art used to be design until the 19th century, right? So, to, so art is you know, graphic design, typography, web design, user experience design, architecture. This is arts, right? Will it be automated? Gradually, most of it will be automated. Uh, and maybe designers of the future will be kind of working with the fine-tuning the software as opposed to designing. Uh, but uh, will we still have people who once in a while will need them to create something truly, truly original? Because I think we'll never reach general AI. Mm. And I think to create something truly original, you have to have full understanding of human culture, environment, and uh, I don't think AI is going to get where in decades, maybe never, in fact, maybe mm -hmm. never, because we don't know how brain works. So will art, so basically, will all art and culture be automated? Will, and will it be the last thing that should be automated? Or maybe it will be automated way before, for example, cooking, mm. or I don't know, or, or something else, where maybe it turns out cooking is more creative and more original. So I think this is interesting questions to ask because I think it's I think that's I want to offer this very provocative I think and uh, I hopefully I hopefully a non-conventional look at the art and the AI. Yeah, thank you very much for that. Again, um, eye-opening, not something that we've come across yet. I want to thank you, Lev, for joining me to discuss these fascinating topics. Well, thank you so much. Enjoyed it, and in fact. I actually said some, I said a number of things which I never said before, so I'm grateful for that. If you wish to hear more from Lev, you can follow him on Twitter at Manovich and discover his latest book, Cultural Analytics, through the link in the episode description. Lev is an incredible educator and is always expanding his research into increasingly interesting and important topics. Thanks for listening to AI Agents. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcatcher and consider giving it a review. Do not forget that you can share this episode with other intelligent people and things, but for now, it is time to close the pod bay doors, Hal.